What's up, everyone? It's Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Humes, and we are back for episode 138 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. This is uh, another Thursday where we're here to talk about the world of mixed martial arts, and we've got quite a bit to talk about. Shawan, um, how are you doing there, sir? Oh, man, not too bad. Busy as always. Not, not enough time in the day, man. Not enough time in the day. How are the kids doing? I, I saw what you tweeted, man. Is everything okay? Uh, just trying to get them in line, man. Just, you know, teaching life lessons. You try to get it. So I always tell people the hardest part of being a parent is you watch your kids do something and you go through knowing what it's going to cost them in the future. And then you go through it again when four years down the line, 10 years down the line, they realize what the opportunities they left on the table and it finally hits them. So then you got to go through it twice. They only go through it once because they were oblivious to it the first time. You go through it twice because you know what's going to happen and then you have to watch them actually have it happen and then watch them go through it. So that's the hardest part about being a parent, just seeing things and knowing you can't do anything about it to get them out of, out of the way of uh, that incoming train. Well, as I've said multiple times on this show, I'm not going to be the one to find out. That's the best. Parenting tips will be all Schwann Humes going forward. Hey, might as well have my uh, experiences benefit someone. That, yep, because the damn sure ain't benefiting me. So let's go ahead and go from there, man. Let's talk about what we got to cover in the world of MMA today. We have to look at Israel Adesanya and his rise to becoming the middleweight champion this past weekend. We're going to talk about Michelle Watterson versus Joanna and Jacek, Kyla Harrison, and do a preview of USC Tampa, which is also, also this weekend. So let's start with Israel, um, who in pretty much dominant fashion won the middleweight championship on Saturday by stopping Robert Whitaker in the second round of their fight. If he, if he had an extra 10 seconds at the end of the first, it would have been a first-round finish. But, yeah, the Nigerian-born Australian... Excuse me, he's not... Where is he from? Uh, uh, I think he's from Australia, maybe, right? No, he's from... He, whatever. Nigerian-born fighter is a champion in the middleweight division. Second Nigerian champion in the UFC. Correct. Second Nigerian champ in the UFC. Third um, to fight for the title if you're recounting Francis Ngannou. What are we going to do, man? I mean, this is a pretty big moment for him. And let's talk about his growth into the role because he's fought six times since he's debuted for UFC. And he's grown. He's looked better each and every time. So it's interesting hearing a lot of people talking about him as if we don't know what his ceiling may be. Have we seen the best that Israel Adesanya has to offer as a mixed martial artist? Or at 30 years old, is he going to continue to grow in different facets of the game? Well, I don't, I don't think we've seen the best he, uh, he has to offer. Uh, there was an ESPN article where they talked about city kickboxing and, uh, you know, the team he comes from. And they made a comment in there where a lot of camps nowadays, the focus is on the physicality of their fighters, the athleticism of their fighters, and they teach them some fundamentals, but all those fundamentals are based around that athleticism, that physicality. So you have fighters who don't really understand the finer points of the game and can't pick up the finer points of the game. They've been basically taught a system that highlights their strengths. And that's something I say all the time, but because I'm who I am, that's going to be dismissed. And when they say it, it's, it's a reference, it's considered an insightful point made. But the thing, the reason I bring this up is because his camp could have easily just had him doing the typical sprawl and brawl, just scramble to get back onto your feet. They could have really 
and allowed him to skate by because he's such a dyna- he's a such a dynamic athlete with such a feel for strike. He's just not a, a striker. He's a guy with a, an immense feel for strike who can make adjustments on the fly. And he's got a certain kind of frame. He's got a certain kind of build. And most of the time, when you've seen a high level striker, what's their plan when it comes to grappling? It's not really even to, it's not even to counter it or look for counters on the feet or to roll out and stuff or to defend and get back to your feet. A lot of it is just based off of you know running away, getting back to your feet, sprawling and brawling. And they didn't do that with Israel. It's clear that they had a game plan with him, and they slowly moved him forward as far as level of competition, but also as far as the layers of skills that he had so that he feels comfortable using his striking to the full extent. Because if he didn't have confidence in his ability to escape submissions or his ability to defend takedowns or his ability to get away from takedowns, he wouldn't be able to strike as efficiently or as effectively as he has been. The only reason he can do that is because of the training and because of the way they brought him up in regards to who they've had him fighting and how they've worked him and developed him in camp, not just with actually teaching him stuff, but actually in how they have him sparring and who they have him sparring with. There's like a, there's been a, a growth in what he's, he's done. And that only comes when you've been meticulously taught and slowly developed over a period of time, they could have just fast tracked him and he wouldn't be half the fighter he is right now, but because they did it deliberately and with intent. And instead of just having him, you know, only fight or learn stuff in camps. They've had him work in between camps and have him training every day and have him being exposed to his weaknesses every day. He's slowly been able to strengthen the weaknesses and fine tune his strengths. But that's because of the way they've trained him. And I think right now he's, I don't know that he's going to be getting better two, three years from now, but for the next year and a half to two years, I expect to see similar leaps forward, especially with the fact that he has such an ace in the hole with the striking it gives him a little bit more leeway to take chances, to experiment, and to focus on other aspects. Because still in mixed martial arts, striking is maybe state-level striking. You have world-class grapplers in mixed martial arts. You have below-average-class strikers for the most part in mixed martial arts. So that also gives him a lot of room to play with and a lot of room to experiment and develop other skills because he's so defined and so experienced in this one area. So let's talk about a couple of different things we saw on Saturday. The first is I want to talk about his head movement because what we saw was he doesn't really keep a high guard, but he keeps his hands low and like extends backwards to avoid punches before countering. Now, this is something that I'm not a a striking expert in any sense of the word, but this is something that I've often seen people not taught to do. Why is he able to get away with that so effectively? Well, it's the same thing. Like, this is the thing. People, you know, you know, a lot of guys like to use that high guard when they strike. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll put it up. It's the same thing in reverse. It's not the guard you use. It's your footwork. You can bend and lean and have your hands down low. If your feet, if your footwork is good as far as distance managing positions and the angles you take and making sure your feet are under you so that you can recover quickly, then that's not going to get to you. When Anderson Silva got knocked about Chris Weidman, it's because he was leaning back to the point where his feet, his feet were out of position. He was in a position where he didn't have any support. So when he got hit, the shock went through his body. He collapsed. He didn't have his legs underneath him. He'd have his back. He didn't. He didn't have his back straight. He didn't have anything to help absorb the blow. It was literally his neck taking the full force of that shot when the shot came across his face. Had he had his feet underneath him, had he been in a better position, it would have hurt. It would have unbalanced him, but it wouldn't have knocked him out. Israel Adesanya, as much as he dips and slips and flies all around, his feet are always in position to help him recover to get back to a neutral position, or to help him instead of just jerking back and forth to actually flow and sway and twist and turn with shots. So he's never getting hit clean, first of all. And second of all, his feet are underneath him, so they helps absorb the shock from the shot. Most people, when they put their hands down, they start leading. 
they're leaning way back over they're leaning way forward over their feet they're leaning way back over their feet you don't have any support you don't have any balance you can't recover even if the person misses with the first shot you're so far out of position now that that follow-up shot just kills you israel doesn't do that you watch his feet always balanced always moving in accordance to where his upper body is moving so you can't exploit him when he's in those positions in okay, fact right. it, it makes it makes people more anxious like it makes people more anxious when you have your hands down, especially in mixed martial arts. These guys have no patience, no offense to them, but I've sparred pro fighters, sparred amateur fighters. They're so used to putting the pressure on and throwing volume. So when you give them a wide open opening, like you, you stand heavy on your front leg to bait them to throw that leg kick, or you put your hands down by your side in their mind, that's a fresh opening. And nine times out of 10, it is when you're facing a certain kind of fighter, they're baiting you, but cheetah has his hands low. He wants you to come in thinking you're just going to overwhelm him. But his footwork and positioning is good, too. Israel Adesanya, oh, he's got his hands low. Oh, he's bending. He's almost out of position. Yeah, up top, he's almost out of position. But look at his feet. So you swung really hard. He's way out of position, but his feet are set. So he can not just get back in position, but hit you with a check hook and step off because his base is, set, his base is sound, his foundation's there. But in mixed martial arts, footwork is still a four-letter word to most guys. And they don't pay attention to that stuff. They just say, oh, he's over silly, bobbing, showing off. He's just being flashy. Is he being flashy or is he setting a trap? He's setting a trap for you. And if you're not a certain caliber of striker or you don't have a certain amount of discipline, you will pay for falling into that trap and thinking you can overwhelm him just because you think he's out of position. He wants you to think that. He wants you to throw that volume. It makes it easier for him to just come back over the top and blast you, as we saw repeatedly on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. So let me ask this. Um... What is one area, if you were working with him, that you would work on first to help with his development? His, his actual boxing. He's been able to outbox guys because mixed martial arts guys are terrible boxers. Boxing still doesn't get any respect. And the fact of the matter is, when you saw him, it's, it's why I thought Robert Whitaker had a, had a, had a chance to win this. As I said, he can, he, you can get him with a jab, especially if it's a sharp, deliberate, multifaceted jab. And you can get him with feints. You can't make big overtures, big aggressive movements to get to him. You have to be willing to walk through some fire and get yourself into position. Work your way into position. It's the difference between exploding out of a bad position in grappling or slowly, you know, getting your hips underneath you, turning to your side, getting on all fours, getting back up. That's one, two, three, four. Some people just like to explode out of position. In striking, certain situations you can explode into it and take advantage of somebody. But against him, that doesn't work. He's too dynamic. He's too organic in how he responds. He's not really, he doesn't really have a structured response. There's similar moves he does, but he kind of does them based off of what you're doing and what he wants to do. So it's very creative. So what you need, but so what you have to do is you have to work your way in, take some shots, stick that jab on him, disrupt his rhythm, touch him up a little bit, take some of his confidence, and then use feints to get him to show his hands, and then you counter him. That's what that's what Anderson Silva did to him. He feinted him, used his jab. And he would have Israel show his hand, and then he would counter Israel once Israel showed his hand. Israel still is very, very sensitive to feints because he's so dynamic and he's so organic in what he does. There's not a structure to it, so he he overreacts to everything, and his and his manner of defense is also that way. So if you have striking, you can time him. You just get him reacting to the jab. You jab, 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 jab. Instead of jabbing high this time, you jab low. Jab right to his chest. He's going to dip right into the shot. Throw you change the speed of your jab. He's gonna you're gonna you break him down with it. So you have to attack in layers. And he doesn't have a layer defense. He just has a very unorthodox attribute based one. 
that most guys aren't good enough or disciplined enough to take advantage of. So I'd work on his boxing. His jab's pretty good. His long strikes are really good. But if you can get, get into that middle range with him and you can start fading him, you can get to him. Kelvin Gastelum is not a good striker. And Kelvin Gastelum put hands on him because he slowly worked his way in, coming behind a jab, moving his head slightly, and using his, using his footwork to creep his way in instead of trying to blitz him or hit him with big bombs. That's not going to work. You can't be obvious. You have to work your way in. You have to have, go from A to B to C to D to E to get to him. You can't jump from A to E. You jump from A so, to E, you're going to run into something. There's one other question I wanted to talk about in reference to Adesanya before we move on to his opponent. Um, it's interesting to see a lot of people are talking about the hate that he got as he was surging up the ladder, and a lot of people weren't too impressed with his fighting ability. Me, personally, I didn't see that a whole lot, but that doesn't mean it wasn't occurring because, obviously, I'm not the end-all, be-all when it comes to, M- to the MMA space. But did you experience this a lot when talking about Adesanya that a lot of people were skeptical about his skills and that he wasn't um, who we thought he was to quote uh, uh, former coach, rest in peace, Dennis Green. Dennis Green. Yeah, so what were some of your thoughts about that? Did he? Did you see him getting a lot of hate as he raised up, oh, as he came up the ladder, is he still getting that? The biggest thing with him is he's a talker. He's loud. He's confident. He's aggressive. He's always talking about his future plans, how he's going to take over the game. And I know some people made it a race issue, and I think to a degree it is a race issue. I'm not going to lie and act like it isn't. But if you're a certain type of fighter with a certain type of confidence and belief and you speak things into existence, as LeVar Ball would say, People are going to take it a certain kind of way. They're going to feel a certain kind of way. They're going to be like, he hasn't earned his stripes. How, who is he to say he's going to be the champ? Who is he to say he's going to be the b- biggest thing coming? Who is he to say that he's going to dominate everybody and nobody's in his class? It's offensive, not just to, it's not just offensive to fighters. It is very offensive to them because they're feeling like this is a new guy who hasn't earned his stripes. He hasn't proven anything. I mean, let's face it. He's another hot shot striker who thinks he's too good to have to grapple or too good to be taken down and submitted. That's the impression he comes off as. And then to see him perform the way he has, it just gets people more frustrated. And a lot of people start wanting to see him have a downfall. But, yeah, there's a lot of hate towards him. I mean, just the same reason there's a hate towards Michael Venom Page. The only difference is every test Adesanya has been faced with, he's passed, and Michael Venom Page didn't. But people don't like them for the same reason. They're flashy, they're, they're cocky, and they speak in a manner that makes them, that puts them above other fighters and other people. And people don't like that. Nobody, people don't like when you say you're special. If I say, Raphael, you're a special talent, you're a great podcaster, that's fabulous. If you start saying you're a special talent and you're a great podcaster, well, now you're just a jerk. And it, it was a big thing. And a lot of people did want to see him lose, not because of any, any wrongs he's done, but because they feel like he needed to be taken down a peg. And they wanted to see him be taken down a peg. And Robert Whitaker has already been humbled. Robert Whitaker has shown that he's more of a straight up and down, straight laced martial artist. So people didn't mind when he felt confident or he said certain things. But with somebody like Adesanya, his his temperament is always going to offend people. And it's always going to make some people feel like they just can't wait to see him get his mouth shut. Because he's not doing it for the purity of the sport. He's doing it for some other purpose. That That's how I think most fans take it. So let's talk about Robert Whitaker. Uh, and then we're going to move on to another topic here. Um, what what is his path to coming back from this? This is a pretty bad stoppage. I mean, in a lot of ways, he could have been stopped in the first round. He's been out for a long time. He's been dealing with a lot of, of injury issues. Uh, what is his path back? 
it's a long path because the fact of the matter is he he he's he's rusty. He wasn't sharp. He was not sharp at all. He's taken an extensive amount of abuse and beatings and injuries. So he's he hasn't been in a position where he could just train and just refine his skills and just grow as a fighter. He spent time recovering. He spent time mentally recovering, physically recovering. And part of that is getting in shape. And part of that is being able to function. That's not working. You can't you can't focus 100% on your skills when you're trying to get healthy. You can't focus 100% on your skills when you're trying to figure out how not to push yourself too hard because you don't want to suffer another physical setback. So I think it's a longer road for him because he's really got to get his timing back. He's really got to get his sense of fighting back. And he's really going to have to take small steps if he wants to be the fighter that he says he wants to be. You know, I know he's world class. I know he's elite. But the worst thing you can do when you suffer a dynamic loss like that is try to jump right back in and get it all back at once. You saw what happened to Anthony Pettis. He fight a, He lost his title, kept trying to fight elite guys, kept getting setbacks, three, four fights in a row, until finally he took a couple steps back, and then you started seeing seeing the progress and seeing him move forward. And that's what I feel that Robert Whitaker has to do, not because he's not still not an elite talent, but because he needs time to readjust to, to the reality of his career now. He's not a young guy who's uninjured and still coming up into his prime. He's a guy who suffered major injuries, major surgeries, and major setbacks and taking major beatings. He needs to approach his next few fights very strategically and very intelligently. It can't be an ego. It can't be a, I'm going to show what I got. He's got to really treat this like he's a professional. So I want to argue you on, on one of those points, because if you look at these two guys, Adesanya is actually the older fighter. He just turned 30. Um, Whitaker is 28. But I do agree with you that he's taken a lot of damage, especially if you look back at those two fights with Romero and earlier in his career, especially when he was cutting down to 170. I wonder... If we, I, I wish that there was a way we could see what someone's miles are, quote unquote, on their body, because he's definitely taken a a toll, and it's and it's, it's a toll that we've kind of probably uh, forgot about. Yeah, he's got a lot of them. I mean, look at the Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy fight; that was a lot of punishment. The Uriah Hall fight was a lot of punishment. Both, um, both Yo Romero fights were a lot of punishment. The even fight with Derek Brunson; it was a short fight, but he almost got finished three times in that fight. He's taken a huge amount of punishment. He's and and the w- way he fights and the style he fights with the volume and the power that requires a certain kind of training. You can't you can't half-ass that kind of training. Not because it's not technical, but because it demands you to have a certain kind of physicality, work at a certain kind of pace. And for you you to work at a certain kind of pace and have a certain kind of physicality, you have to build your body up and break it down so it can handle that that sort of those sort of situations. And you wonder if he did so much that it's causing setbacks in his body. Because he messed up his knee against Romero on the way to taking a huge amount of punishment. Second fight, he wasn't injured, but he took a ton of punishment for five rounds. And then would he have like a sports hernia? I mean, these aren't these aren't minor issues, you know? And that and that's the difference. Israel Adesanya hasn't been in and out of the hospital. He hasn't had to have a three and four and five and six month recovery. He wasn't out of the cage for what? How long was Robert out of the cage for almost a year? You know, I mean it's it's really it's really difficult to build any sort of game plan or to really get any sense of what you want to do and how you're going to develop further when the main the main concern is you being healthy and you being able to function on a regular basis it's it's hard to juggle both things you know if you're trying to get better as a grappler how are you going to do that if you have to make sure you just suffered a catastrophic injury and now you got you got to walk your way through that it's very hard it's very hard to manage that yeah, it's definitely very hard. It's very hard to manage that there. I want to move on to the next topic, and I want to talk about Michelle Watterson and Yoana and Jacek. This fight is scheduled for Saturday as of right now. 
Wayans are tomorrow morning. So let's take you, I'm going to walk you through this situation and we're going to cover this topic and kind of talk about uh, what's going on. 10 weeks ago, this book, this fight was booked. Um, and it's a very important fight because it's easy to see that the winner of this fight could be in title contention. Um, you never really know if that's the case with how UFC does their matchmaking. But there are two women who are ranked, I think, within the top five of the division at this time. Let me pop that open real quick and check. But news broke on Tuesday, I believe, about Yun Jacek having weight cut issues. And that's always been a situation with her. So Yuan Yun Jacek is ranked number five. Michelle Watterson is ranked number seven. Um, and if you look at the if you if you look at the division right now, it's wide open. You know, Jessica Andrade just lost lost the title. Rose Namajunas is currently not really fighting. Uh, Tatiana Suarez is dealing with neck injuries. Nina Ansaroff today just announced that she's going to take a year off to uh, attempt to have a child with her. Uh, I don't know if they're married. Uh, Amanda Nunez. I don't know. If they, I can't remember if they're married or if they're still just uh, girlfriends. Then you had Joanna Yunjacek at five, Claudia Gadelia at six, and Michelle Watterson at seven. But um, Yanjacek makes it clear. So the story comes out on Tuesday that a week before Yanjacek told UFC that she can't make the weight and that she offered to fight Watterson at a catch weight. Watterson said no. So she was posed with two options. Either you fight a replacement fighter on two days notice or you fight Andrade at UFC 244, which is in two weeks or so, I believe. So that was a situation she was placed in, either or, and it was no consideration or nothing of the like. It's interesting because wait a minute, wait saw... a minute. You're saying the UFC is not considerate of a fighter? What the hell you say? Shocking, shocking. I know, but if I just interesting, interestingly enough, I just saw that Angela Hill posted on Twitter that she was called to um, pick up uh, to to potentially take the fight. Uh, last minute, but that it seems like they will no longer need her services. So we'll see what happens with the weigh-in that's scheduled for tomorrow. But here we are with Michelle Watterson in in this situation where she was basically all, I mean, you can't even really say the situation's over right now, but she was put in a, between a rock and a hard place. She was on Luke Thomas's show yesterday talking about the matter and she was saying that you know when she weighs in at 115 we've already talked about the fact that she's a small 115 pounder she's actually an atom weight who yes. fights at um she who fights a weight class up to be in the ufc and she's done well for herself in doing so but many people do agree you know many pundits believe that you know her best weight class is 105 where she's had her most success ufc does not have a 105 pound weight class they should but they don't so be better than that imaginary featherweight Correct. Women's right. featherweight we, division they have. Like I would be a fan if they if they try to get Angela Lee from uh one FC, but that's another conversation for another day. So Michelle Watterson was talking to Luke Thomas and she said that if she when she rehydrates and eats after her weigh-in, she gets up to about 127 pounds. So if she gave Yun Jacek the weight allowance, you know, the catch weight fight. She may still only get up to 127, and she'll be fighting a person who is well over 130 pounds. Like she would expect Young Jay to come in well over 130. And I understand how that's a problem for her. I understand how that is a problem for her fighting style. I, to me, when I hear that, 
that makes me think she's expecting to implement a takedown type of game on Saturday because that's why you would be worried about the way. If you were, if you were thinking about taking a, a striking type of battle, yeah, you'd have to worry about giving up the power differential, but you also would have to think about the speed as well because I believe that Michelle is already going to be faster than you know, Jacek, but you can talk about that in a second. That's, that's, that's your space. But for Watterson to say no, I definitely agree with her in a situation to say, no, I'm going to draw the line and say, this This is what's best for me. But in doing so, she was going to put herself in a bad situation with the uh, UFC, and it would have jeopardized this whole fight card, I believe. I mean, there's nothing else on this fight card that really matters. Yeah, I don't think we're, at a, we're in a space now where the UFC will not cancel events, but uh, this show would have definitely been um, hurt. It's already not a strong card to begin with. But I understand... Waterson's stance, and I see why she took the took the stance that she did. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I mean, first of all, she knows she's in the vicinity for a, a, a title shot. She's not super close, but she's close enough, especially given all the things that have happened in the past, what, month and a half, as far as people being injured, people not being able to compete, the title getting out of Andrade's hand, going from Rose, from Rose to Andrade to uh, Zhang. There's a lot of upheaval, and she's in a position where I think she's trying to tie Ron Woodley it, where she's going to wait to see see how things shake out and see what opportunity presents itself. To be honest, she's she's on a win streak, but as impressive as that win streak is, the fact of the matter is she's, she's winning against girls who are fatally flawed in the fact that they don't have a sense of awareness or IQ in how they fight. Every single of those women have clear physical advantages, and every single one of them gave them up to fight the fight that Michelle Watterson wanted to fight specifically fighting her at range, in the case of Courtney Casey, being on her back trying to look for submissions instead of getting up and forcing a firefighter in exchange with her. Just Carolina Kovalkiewicz, instead of forcing scrambles and imposing her will physically, she's just running in, getting taken down, running in, taken down, and then staying on her back. As good as Michelle Watterson has gotten with her grappling and her control, the fact of the matter is she's still an atom weight. And if you really decide you want to get up, She's not a good enough technical grappler, and she's not a good enough athlete or strong enough athlete to hold you down if you don't want to be there. You have to capitulate a little bit and agree to get in these grappling exchanges with her. So she's on this win streak, but I think she knows, and I think anybody who really looks at it understands that she hasn't faced an elite, an elite fighter yet. And even in beating all these girls, they weren't dominant victories. Kovacavich had some moments against her, and Kovacavich is damn near shot. Courtney Casey has the worst fighting IQ next to Randa Marcos, in women's mixed martial arts, and she, some people think she actually did enough to beat Michelle Waterson. You know, and Felice Harry, as good as Felice can be sometimes, she can just fight like a complete idiot and and totally forget all her veteran experience and just do the dumbest things and fight. It's it's beyond ridiculous to see how she fights on one end, and then in the biggest fights, when the spotlight's on her, she totally falls apart and just does the stupidest things. So, it's a great win, because it's got some names on it, but it's it's a win, it's wins over people who routinely underperformed in the, under the big lights. So I think Michelle Waterston knows Joanna Jadrajic, I can't say her name right, is a bad matchup for her. She is a big, long, physical striker. Most of the advantages she's used to having in striking don't really exist. She's not as durable as Joanna. She probably hits similarly hard. She might be a better athlete, but she doesn't work at the pace Joanna does. She can't match her in the clinch. And now, unlike the last four opponents she's faced, she's not going to have clear avenues to take down. And the reason she's against the weight the weight thing is because if she comes in, that means she's going to have more energy. She's going to come in even bigger. She's going to come in even stronger. And she's not going to have to waste any energy or any stamina sucking down 
to that weight class. She wants her to make weight in hopes that it'll make her less dynamic, make her less durable, make her it, put her in a position where that if Michelle can hang on long enough, she can extend her and wear her down and maybe overwhelm her or just control her on the way to a decision win. That's what she's hoping for. But to have her come in at a catch weight, that it makes a tough fight almost insurmountable because Michelle's not a big hitter. She's not super physical. She's not that explosive as an athlete. And she's going to be facing a bigger, stronger, longer, more tenured, more skilled, more physical, more durable striker, who also is very hard to take down and even harder to keep down. And we're talking about against powerhouses in the division. Jessica Andrade couldn't keep her down. Claudia Gadelia couldn't keep her down. But Michelle Watterson's going to? No. And Michelle Watterson knows that. So she's in a bad spot, but she's also in the best spot because she made weight. Her opponent didn't. So whether the UFC tries to punish her or publicly shame her because of her reputation as a fighter and as a person, as a mother, it's not going to really hurt her that much. She's going to be like, I don't want to be bullied by the UFC. My, my opponent didn't make weight. It's not my job to meet them at a catch weight. It's not my job to fight whoever they want me to fight. My job is to be handled and treated like a professional, and none of these circumstances they're giving me are professional. So she, she can take a moral high ground in it. It's not going to help her career, but on a certain front, it will help her image among fighters and to fans who are a little bit more sensitive to the situation she's in. Yeah, it's a very interesting situation. Um, I think that there's a lot on the line for Michelle because she's overachieved in, in almost in, in a way in uh, the UFC that I think a lot of people like, didn't really use her. You're using the right do. word, though, Raphael. You're using the right word. I think she knows she's overachieved. I think mm-hmm. she knows this win streak can't really go too much further. I mean, let's say Suarez was in good, was healthy. Can you, you see Michelle Watterson beating, beating no. Tatiana Suarez? I see that fight going... Worse than I, I see it going the same way that Carlos Barza fight went, but an earlier stoppage. Yeah, I, I can't see her beating her. I can't see her beating Andrade. We know she couldn't beat Rose Namajunas. I'm not sure that she could beat Alexa Alexa Grasa right now, much less Carlos Barza. From this point on, there are no easy matchups. All the fighters are fairly high IQ. I think Carlos Barza would be the worst athlete, but all of them are very well rounded. Very seasoned. She won't have that experience and that age and that poise over them. They have balanced skill sets. Most of them are better athletes than her, and a lot of them are bigger and stronger than her. So where are the advantages she has that she had against a Courtney Casey or Felice Herrig or Carolina Kovacavich or an Angela Magana? These girls are not just better technically. They're better physically, and they're just as established as far as their skill sets and their experience. There are now, no more good matchups for her. You did now. You asked a good question. You said where where is she better than these individuals? And I think a lot of people, she I think she has a very high fight IQ, and I think she has the right camp around her to utilize that and come up with the best strategies to help her win. And I was I tweeted about this after her last victory. Michelle's not the, she's not going to knock you out. Um, I think she just got her purple belt in. Jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, maybe she catch you, catch you in something, and she could uh, uh, submit you. We saw her submit um, Felice Herrig. Uh, she got into some good positions. Like, I think it was against Courtney Casey with some arm bars and stuff like that. So, we she knows grappling enough, but she's not much of a submission threat. But I think the way Michelle knows she can win, and the way her camp knows that she can win, is that she can outscore you, and she can outscore you for five rounds. And if you give her the opportunity to win. Like, you see a lot of her fights, she'll win two out of the three rounds. That's all she needs. And, I, I, and, and like that type of fighting, uh, it doesn't... 
it doesn't if it was men people would complain about it like elias theodoro tried to fight like that and look how that worked out for him but she can do that well enough i think to win and that's helped her win a lot more fights than a lot of people were were and, expecting and i understand that completely but even in those fights against courtney hayes that was a that that was nip and tuck it was against close. Co- yeah, it, it even, was even, close. even against carolina it as flat as her skill set is she still had issues getting her down she still had issues holding her down she still had issues on the feet and carolina is the most basic striker in the mixed martial arts i know i've ha- had to help two fighters defeat her i know her game in and out and michelle waterston still had issues with the fact of somebody coming forward chin up throwing the same combinations over and over you can use skill set and iq those things are fabulous things to have but at some point the athleticism and the size comes into play and a lot of her fights and her victories are because fighters had no common sense or no sense of urgency I mean, Felice was throwing the same, the, the, what she was wor- throwing was not working, and she kept throwing it. At no point did she try to assert her size or really put it in a position to make Watterson really carry her weight or be aggressive. She was fighting a, a, rain, a distance kickboxing match with a girl faster, quicker, with a better kicking skill set than her. Courtney Casey was handle, ha- having success on the feet, but she gets taken down. She's searching for submissions. Just get back up and start putting volume on this girl again. Why are you on the ground hunting for submissions for four, three and four minutes out of a round? What sense? Do you not know that judges don't count that unless you get the submission? And even then, it was still a close fight. When you, Even you're facing Claudia Gedalia, who's not who she used to be, Claudia Gedalia takes you down. It's a different kind of world. Claudia Gedalia hits you to the body. It's a different kind of world. We've seen that Watterson does not handle punishment very well. When, when Rose Namajunas kicked her, the look on her face was like, I don't, what hit me? Like, who's the guy who hit me? She can't, she can't take punishment. That's why she has to fight these technically, strategically, super clean, super precise fights with very little root margin for error. And against all the girls, if they were still here, against uh, Nina Ansaroff, Tatiana Suarez, Carla Esparza, Alexa Grasso, to me, they're skilled enough. And at this point, they're experienced enough where they're going to put you in a bad spot and you're going to have to fight your way out of it. And so far, what Watterson's been able to do is avoid spots by being a little one step ahead or one step smarter. But against Carla Esparza, Carla Esparza has an answer if you take her down on the ground. Not only is she going to look for the submission, she'll try to reverse and improve position. Claudia Gedalia getting her down, that's a tough match. Really good wrestlers I mean, can't get Claudia Gedalia. Yeah, and you're still and not you're safe, still there. Not and if, safe there. And if she gets on top of you, then what? Nina Ansaroff, she's bigger and strong. She's not as quick, but she's a dynamic athlete with a traditional martial arts background. She can match kicks with with Watterson. And if Watterson can't scare her off with her power, Ansaroff's going to put something on her. You know, it's like it's like there's no easy answers. There's no easy answers against anybody from this point on. Not physically, not strategically, not technically. From this point on, it's 50-50 at best in any fight she has. And I think she understands that. And I think she's playing that up to the best of her ability to make sure the next decision she makes is a very good one. Because against a Jessica Andrade, you have no room for error. Against Joanna Jadrick, no room for error. Claudia Gedalia, no room for error. She has to and make this next move. Have you haven't even mentioned a champion yet. Yeah, yeah, there, there's just no room. And you're at a strength, power, and durability disadvantage. Those are a lot of disadvantages to have to overcome with just IQ and experience. That's a lot of ha- experience, things to have to overcome. Let me see. We, I wasn't. I wasn't planning on us talking about this, but now I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts on this. Um, let me see. So, uh, Angela Lee fights at. She's she. So okay, she fights for One FC, 
she fights in their their divisions are are different. So she fights in their straw weight division, but I think it's actually 105 pounds. She's fought at item weight as well too, but she's probably one of their biggest stars. Um, even though she's riding a two fight losing streak, she's probably recognized as one of their um their biggest stars. She was a she was a two division champ, or she was an atom weight champion, and she and she bumped up to face the fight for the straw weight title, and was unable to win it. But I would not be surprised if UFC had some interest in her and found a way to make a trade for her the same way that they did for um, Demetrius Johnson and, and Ben Askren. If they brought over Angela Lee and they put her up against Michelle Watterson, what would your thoughts be about that fight? And is that enough of a fight to get people interested in the 105-pound weight class? For, for, It'd be a great fight. They have, they have huge fan bases. They're both attractive. They both kind of know how to play to the uh, media and play to the fans. It'd be a good fight. It'd be I, I would favor Watterson. I mean, she's not young anymore, but Watterson's been facing legitimate world-class opposition. And for the most part, Angela Lee's been facing... Um, outsized, physically overwhelmed fighters. Um, Michelle Watterson has been doing the reverse, fighting somebody at her weight, fighting with somebody with a similar physical toolkit would be a release, would be a relief for her. I mean, for one, she wouldn't be fighting somebody who's 10 to 15 pounds heavier than her. And, and at this point younger, and in some cases, a better athlete. So I think it'd be a good fight, but I'd have to favor Watterson. She's been faced the better opposition and she's done better against the better opposition. She's shown more growth in her game than Angela Lee. Angela hasn't had to because she's been able to outclass everybody. Watterson, for all that she's accomplished, has not been able to outclass everybody. She's had to make steps forward strategically, technically, and in, far, in, in, in regards to her poise in fights just to survive because she's at such a physical disadvantage. She's had to make improvements. Not, not game-changing improvements, not life-altering improvements, but enough improvements because that's how far at a disadvantage she's at. Angelique hasn't had to make improvements. She's been getting by on the same okie doke for like a couple years. True, true. Okay, so let's use, let's use this opportunity to segue into reviewing or previewing our um, UFC Tampa card this weekend. We also, in the co-main event, we have Cub Swanson versus Crone Gracie. Um, yeah, I I have some interest in this fight um, because, you know, Swanson's been been banging heads for the last few years, you know, he's been putting guys out and, and doing it in um, substantial fashion. But I don't think he's going to be able to do that to Crone on Saturday. I think Crone is, again, he's another, he's another fighter with a very high fight IQ. Cub is taking on a lot of damage, and Crone has a way of just getting to the position and getting the, um, getting the position that he wants to, to get the sub. What are your thoughts about this fight here? It's pretty much how I see it. It'd be an upset if Cub wins because he's not as durable as he used to be. He's not the athlete he used to be, which has been exposing the shortcomings he has in his striking. And a lot of his wrestling and grappling success has been based on the fact of his his staccato flow and, and his movement, which is also part of his athleticism, which isn't there as much. I fully expect Crone to transition, get body to body, and either just control him for the majority of the time or finish or finish him. I... I I just don't have very much faith in Cub Swanson. And the way Cub Swanson fights, it doesn't seem like he has very much faith in himself either. True. Okay. I'm picking Crone Gracie is there there as well, too. I don't know much about this Mike Davis and Thomas Gilliford fight. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Do you know anything about these two guys? Are they two contender guys? Where are they from? I do not. I, this card, I've... Oh, the, 
I really not paid a lot of attention because I was going over and I was like, I didn't see a lot to, they didn't seem like they invested in this card. I mean, there's lots of good fights, like interesting fights, but that, once again, it's a fight that doesn't have a lot of importance. The guys on here, they'd have to win two, three, four fights before they even become relevant in their divisions. And that's, that's not, a, that's not a slight to them. It's just, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Those two guys, I don't really know who they are. So we're going to move on from there, but there are some other individual names here that are interesting. You have Mackenzie Durham and Amanda Rebus. This fight right here interested me as well too, because this is not an easy fight for Dern in any way, shape or form. In fact, her first fight, in my opinion, is with the scale on Friday because she's had a track, a track record of having issues with the, with the weight cut and not making weight. And she's coming back from, uh, pregnancy so there's i'm pretty sure i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist but i'm pretty sure that would have some difficulties in uh making what that would cause some difficulties in making weight as well too but we'll see tomorrow but what are your thoughts about this fight here i know you're more familiar with with rebus than i am she's seven and one against a seven and no Dern. what are your thoughts about this fight it just really it really comes down it's it really i think they want mackenzie Dern to win she's she's still kind of the name She's still kind of the person who has more of a more upside because she's attractive. She has the whole grappling base behind her as well. And the UFC fans are familiar with her. And to be quite honest, in the fights she's had, they've all been fairly exciting. Um, they've all been competitive or and she's finished multiple fighters and she's done so in exciting fashion. Like you said, the question is, does she come in a weight? I'm assuming because she's had the issues with her weight prior previously. And coming out of her pregnancy, I would expect her to be in top shape. I'd expect her to be even more focused on this because she can't really afford to miss weight. It it was a bad look at that point. It's an even worse look at this stage, especially with the division being as wide open as it is. You can't afford any setbacks. And missing weight would be just one that affects her whole credibility. They might just force her to move up because she's consistently shown an inability to make weight. Uh, so she she has to make weight. I would favor... I would favor Dern over this just because, as I said, Dern's faced the better opposition. I mean, she's faced fighters who've been in the UFC and faced top-end talent and faced girls who have dominated on the regional circuit. I don't know that Revis has faced a lot of girls who dominated on the regional circuit and ha had success in the UFC. Most of the girls she's fought are good fighters, but fairly inexperienced or fairly limited. Whereas Mackenzie Dern has fought, who's, has fought girls who've gotten multiple fights in the UFC, and whether they've won or lost, they've always been able to show a certain kind of class and a certain kind of skill in it. So I'm going to favor Mackenzie Dern's level of opposition and her experience and comfort in being the UFC. The question becomes, is her time off going to make her rusty? Because she was never a great striker. She's more of an athletic wrestler than an actual technical one. She wasn't and, even a good wrestler to begin with. Yeah, she, 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 I mean, she wasn't a good wrestler. Yeah, she, she wasn't very good, and you, you have to wonder how much time has she been able to dedicate to really working on her skills because really her athleticism, her athleticism, her aggression has been enough to carry her. She's athletic. She can knock people out. She can just force her way into takedowns, and when she gets on the ground, she can control almost anybody. But you have to wonder how much dedication she has into her actual skill set and her conditioning because, like you said, she has a child, and she's been off for so long. And when you're off, you're not going to be sharp. So the only thing that bounces out is razor-sharp skills. And Mackenzie Dern has never been the person who's taken her craft seriously enough to be a true technician in anything except the grappling. So you have to wonder if she's going to – has she found a new purpose? Is she more dedicated? Is she more focused? I don't know. Based on the experience, who she's beaten and how she's performed, you have to go with Dern. 
But get, given her sloppy habits as a fighter and her lack of professionalism, you have to wonder what she's going to be like after this much time off. Did you see uh, she was on, I can't remember what, what, what uh, show it was, but she said that when she announced she was pregnant, she lost 20,000 Instagram followers. Did you see that? Yeah, I don't know why people, people are blowing that up to be more than it is. Because I think it's simple- hilarious. I mean, I, I think it's hilarious. I like, guess funny to me. Yeah, I think it's just they played up a lot of her thing has been her her looks and her appeal. I mean, that's part of what sells. So when you do something where you, you're considered off limits, then yeah, people aren't going to be as interested in you. And no offense, it's not like she's been a very outspoken or political or in, or insightful person. Like people weren't signing on just to hear her thoughts on life. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just a fact. You look at her Instagram page, you look at her some of the advertisements when she's first come to UFC it's like her on the beach in a bikini what does that have to do with her fighting I mean it, you know it's it's her social media she can do whatever she wants yeah that. I mean it's cool but uh, when you put that I, image I, out I, yeah you put that but still like I, I think it's it's still hilarious to me to see that she lost 20,000 uh, followers I, I, it's, it's just funny I mean MMA fans are we know what the demographic is, 18 to 49 year old um, majority white men. And it's just comical to me. And I, I got a good chuckle out of that, a very good chuckle out of that. And it always reminds me of the piece that was in Bloody Elbow about MMA through the male gaze, because it's going to be a real thing that's going to impact the sport uh, forever. And it's just another example of it. Um, you know, it is what it is, but I, I still got a good chuckle out of that. Yeah, I mean, I understand it. It hurts her leverage. But like you said, when she was benefiting from it, when no complaints, so I don't want to hear you crying about it when they disappear. You got to ride that wave for a while. True, very true. Uh, The next, and let me see, what else did I want? So there aren't any other fights I wanted to kind of highlight from Saturday's card. The only other news bit I wanted to talk about was Kayla Harrison signing a long-term deal with the PFL. You know, she fights at 155, which is a different weight class, which is a weight class that no one else has. Yeah, she's a huge name. She pushed to try to get uh, Cyborg to sign with PFL when she was a free agent for that short time, but, you know, it didn't work. She went over to Bellator. This deal was supposedly worth seven figures, and she'll According to Ali Adelaziz, she's going to make seven figures each year of this multi-fight deal, even if she doesn't win the tournament, which is another million-dollar tournament. Um, in my opinion, this is a, her. This is her best option because there isn't a lightweight division in Bellator. There definitely isn't one in in the UFC. And if PFL is willing to continue to put money in her pocket to fight the best fighters that they can find, which will not be a lot of people, why not do it? Yeah, I mean, the, at the end of the day, as a fighter, it's your job. Everybody says they do it for free. Those people are stupid. You do it to pay your bills and for a sense of competition, but first to pay your bills. If you cannot pay your bills and take care of yourself or your child, you're being irresponsible to yourself, your wife, your children. So that's first of all. If they're giving her an opportunity to make money and to fight, why would she do it? When you hear some of the horror stories like tough winner Carlos Spars are having to sell her motorcycle or people who are fighting name name fighters and they're living out of tens why would you do anything to jeopardize your income when the people who run these organizations aren't shortchanging dana white ain't taking no pay cut he he, don't, he didn't have to sell one of his jets he keeps everything he has so it's your job as a fighter to treat it like a profession and to make the money you can while you can do it now it's not 
Now, to a certain degree, I don't see why she doesn't catch some flack because people talk about Conor McGregor ducking challenges, and essentially she's ducking challenges too. I mean, she could she could she could go into an organization, have them, you know, a lot of these girls could fight for lightweight, and she could p- push the PFL to sign some of them. I don't know if she's doing that, but essentially by saying the PFL, she's saying she's only going to fight a certain caliber of fighter, and that's not fight a lightweight how- though. Like, what are some I mean, names that could fight at lightweight? But Megan Anderson can move to lightweight. She's huge. Cyborg okay, can fight at the lightweight. Cool. She's huge. Julia Budd's big enough. Julia Budd's big enough. I mean, a lot of the girls in Bellator, 145, they can fight at lightweight. And sure. they're and even, if they, even though they wouldn't be big lightweights, they're experienced enough and accomplished enough that each one – Julia Budd could give Kayla Harrison some work. Cyborg could give Kayla Harrison some work. If Kayla, if Kayla Harrison beat Megan Anderson, that would be the best fighter she's beaten in her entire career. True. If she if she beat Felicia Spencer, that'd be the best fighter she's beaten in her career. <laughs> so I mean, these girls are so much more well-rounded, so much more accomplished that they could test her and they could beat they could run through that whole that whole uh, playoff easily. I mean, Sarah Kaufman's doing it and she's a bantamweight. So I uh, mean, true. you know, they they she's doing what's best for her, but in a certain instance, by staying in PFL, she's essentially saying, "I don't want to face a certain caliber of fighter." That's what she's saying. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I mean. Like people bash Connor. Well, Connor's not fighting tough. He wants just he wants to pick and choose. Well, what's Kayla Harrison doing? She could go to somewhere else or have them pay these have these girls come in, or she could go to Bellator and have them move up to fight or Bellator make a lightweight division for her. But she ain't gonna do that. She's gonna take where she can get the most money and have her career. And I can't fault her for it. But why isn't anybody giving her any slack for that? Eddie Alvarez got bashed for being in Bellator and not fighting the best. Dana White makes fun of other people who fight in the smaller organizations who don't fight the best. Somehow Kayla Harrison gets a pass guess you know i mean cyborg cyborg fought down to a weight that was unhealthy for her just to fight in the ufc that's how bad she wanted it but we say cyborg was cherry picking in one of the easy fights when she's squeezing down to 135 140 to fight in the ufc i mean if we're going to criticize her for cherry picking what do you criticize for the girl who doesn't cut weight and fights in an organization that built a division for her and has only brought in a bunch of inexperienced kickboxers to fight her Words out there, sir. So another, so we got a question in today. We're going to start asking, uh, getting in some questions from our listeners as the last segment of the show. And okay. this question is pretty interesting because it is in reference to what is going on in China and how it's impacting sports. So before we dive into the question, I want to give everyone some background. So Hong Kong is, think of Hong Kong as to China as like Guam or the Virgin Islands are to the United States. It's kind of like a, a commonwealth, for lack of a better term. China is a is a totalitarian state. Um, they have a dictator. We all know who, how that goes. A couple months earlier this year, Hong Kong passed a resolution that called for extradition of quote unquote criminals from Hong Kong to China. Now, an individual can be a criminal in China for anything speaking out against the government. Journalists go missing all the time. Rights activists go missing all the time. So it's basically anyone who speaks out uh, against the leadership goes missing. And Hong Kong passed a resolution to immediately extradite anyone who's accused of that back to to China. So people spoke up uh, against that and they protested, pushed, pushed, pushed to get that resolution taken off the books. And it was not necessarily taken off the books. It was tabled in a sense over, over the summer. So in September, the protesters continued to push because they basically want, um, democracy brought into Hong Kong. They want China out and they want democracy brought into Hong Kong. This has been a divisive conversation because 
China does business with a lot of different organizations in the United States. The NBA got drawn into this uh, a couple weeks ago because the Houston Rockets, and think of the Houston Rockets as a team where Yao Ming played for years. That was a big deal for China, and and it bridged the gap between the NBA and and, and China over a decade ago. Um, The owner, the general manager of the Houston Rockets tweeted out a message saying that he stands with Hong Kong in support of democracy. China with ballistic, not ballistic, but they basically said um, that they're going to review their partnership with the NBA. They they pulled down all the Houston Rockets apparel from online stores in China. They stopped broadcasting Houston Rockets games. I mean, the NBA went into immediate damage control. There's a video going around from today where a journalist from CNN was trying to ask James Harden questions about the situation. He just sat back in a chair and didn't say anything to the point where they almost tried to take the microphone out of her hand and they silenced her there. And it's a clip that's going on all over the media. ESPN will not talk about the matter. Um, and it's, it's gotten pretty big, uh, even so much, and even, even in the video game space, uh, you know, esports is a million dollar industry that's growing year over year. A popular esports player was actually just, he had all of his prize money stripped from him and he's banned for playing for a year simply because he made a statement saying that he supports Hong Kong. Like that's how big of a situation that this is becoming. So we see the UFC, they just um, got their first Chinese uh, champion in Wiley Zhang. They've been trying to get a foothold in that space for a very long time. And the question is, is are we looking at a situation where the UFC can find themselves in a predicament that's similar to what the NBA is going through? And I think what's different, can they find themselves in a situation? I asked the question immediately when Zhang got the title is, is she, even though she's a UFC champion, I I totally doubt they will have access to her in the same way they'll have, they have access to uh, who's another champion. Um, the same way they'll have access to Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic, so someone who's in the, in the United States. If you look at the way China was very controlling over Yao Ming during his time in the NBA, they basically said he can play for one of these teams he could play in this position. He he still gets all-star votes to this day, and he has not played in the league for, what, almost a decade now? So the question is whether or not the UFC can find themselves in a situation where they are pushed by the pushed by China to um, use Zhang in such a way. I believe so. I believe we're gonna, it's going to be difficult for them to book her in, in fights. It'll be difficult for them to book her against quality uh, opponents. In my in my opinion, I think that they're going to have a very hard time leveraging her the same way they do other champions because the way China has such a strong um, presence in the athletes' lives that compete within their country and outside of their country. I think it's a situation we don't hear about it as much. We won't hear about it as much because it hasn't rolled downhill yet. And of course, NBA is such a is much more massive than the, the UFC is. But I do think that this is a question that we need to ask. And it's something that I don't, I don't think that they'll be able to navigate as easily Um even though they're an organization that outwardly supports President Trump. I mean, President Trump basically is told, even though he doesn't have the power to do that, he told all United States companies to stop doing business with China like almost two weeks before the, the UFC got this, um, had that fight where Zhang knocked out um, Jessica Andrade. So 
it's a situation that I'm sure that they they they're closely monitoring, but it's a predicament that they will have to deal with in the near future. I, I think it'd be a little bit different because the UFC stays out of political stuff. Like they don't have anybody from the organization outside of Dana really making comments and Dana makes many comments about idiot fans and fighters, but you never really see him speaking to political stuff or into iffy stuff that people say when Colby was saying stuff and stuff he said, he didn't get into it. When people make inappropriate comments for the most part, he really doesn't say anything. He only attacks fighters who won't fight or make his job harder or complain about the pay. That's really the only thing he really goes at that in journalists. He doesn't, he doesn't speak on political issues. He doesn't speak on what's right and what's wrong. He didn't talk I mean, about the I'm, run- I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge you there big time because he spoke at the RNC for President Trump. They did, they basically created a propaganda video for Donald Trump that you can still watch on UFC Fight Pass. They're sponsored by right leaning organizations. What I mean, like, he doesn't speak, I mean, stuff that people would find negative, he doesn't speak out against. Like, the guy, people have been dealing with the Russian dictator, the guy who could be even, there's so many stories. Correct. You know what? Dana White doesn't get into it, and he doesn't let anybody in his organization come out and speak. Pub- Who outside of Dana White speaks publicly in the UFC? No one does now. But that—that's that, where the problem. Daryl Daryl Morey came out and said something, and for some reason forgot that he's part of the NBA. He said something, and that's what got all this trouble. The, I guarantee you, his right. owners didn't want him saying that. I guarantee the NBA didn't want him to say that. The UFC doesn't allow their other executives to have that kind of freedom. They now, don't. what's interesting here is that. Not saying something political is ju- being apolitical is a political statement within its own right. So that's it's true, but that, it's, less, it's less expensive because Daryl Moore would just kept his mouth shut. None it, of this would come up. Now, the reason why it's less expensive for the UFC, they're lucky because their fan base doesn't care. The, again, the MMA demographic is wholeheartedly white, 18 to 48 or 18 to 49 year old males. They don't care about this type of, of, of situation. If They'll be more vocal about Tyron Woodley talking about Black Lives Matter than they will be about anything going on in 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 China. They'll be more vocal about if uh if Paige Van Zant was talking about how unfair it is being a woman in MMA. They'll be more vocal about that and denouncing Paige, they, and they wouldn't be that vocal than, than than they would uh, anything going on in China. I'm talking about the MMA fan base. So this is why the UFC can sit back and not say anything about what's going on in China because they don't have to worry about their fans turning 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 on them as you see what's going on at Capital One Arena today. There's fans out there protesting outside of that arena as the Mystics just won the WNBA championship today. Fans are probably out there protesting right now as as we speak. So like, there's a different there's a different type of fan within the, each space. Yeah, but the, the, and and I agree with that. But the whole point of it, it never would have gotten to this point had that guy not said that. And the, the yeah. UFC is very particular about what you can say. They they want to appeal to everybody. Their money isn't tied into these other countries like the U like the eight like the NBA's is. But they don't, they don't let their other executives make these comments. I don't know if they have a, a legal thing or they've told people, but you'll never see another UFC vice president, other person, matchmaker. They don't ever comment. They, they talk about the fights, they talk about the fighters, and they keep it moving. And while that's irresponsible and that makes a political statement in one instance, too, at the same instant, it keeps you out of everything because you're not even throwing your hat in that. I'm here to make money. I'll support certain things. But for the most part, I'm just here to get, get, get fights and get out of there. And Daryl Moore, when he made that comment, he really opened the door that he was not, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. I don't know. He thought nobody would notice it or nobody would care. Right before Houston's 
when Houston's over in China playing? Like, why would you say that now? Like, it's it just yeah, beyond. They got questions all around there too. You know, well, even, even though even with I even with Dana, yeah, even with Dana White, he might not talk about the racial issue, but he he totally ignores it. He'll spin it to something else. He won't be like you know just ignore Black Lives Matter. He won't. Or I support, you know, I support the skinheads. He might have things he supports. He might lean to certain things, but he'll never make a definitive statement like something like that. It's always got to have some kind of give where you could spin it some kind of way. Like I support Donald Trump. Some people say Donald Trump's a racist, but other people, he's got black people in his his office. He's friends with black people. There's a way you can kind of spin it. What Daryl Morey said, it can't be spun. I'm against what you're doing is basically what he's saying. And he did that at a the timing for it is just mind-boggling. It is just mind-boggling that he made that statement while his team, which has benefited more than anybody from China, is over there doing that. Like I couldn't believe he said that during the time he said it. So it, it's a possibility. It's always a possibility. There's going to be little issues. There'll be issues with Russia. There'll be issues with China. But due to the nature of fighting, I don't think it's going to be quite as bad because these these individuals have so much power as far as the fan bases. When it's when it's something like that with the NBA, it's a little bit different because a lot of their money and a lot of their functionality is based on these interactions they have with these countries. It's not the same with the UFC. The UFC holds events over there. They don't necessarily always make a ton of money from these or these 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 countries, so they don't have to make it as big an issue. But it could be an issue. But Dana White's never gonna get any further into it than he has to. He's like, I put on fights. That's the end of it for me. And like you said, the MMA fans don't care. And people who really do care are few and far between. So we've been talking about a Russian dictator who supposedly, allegedly, kills gays for months and years. No, we, had, we had Mike Russell on there. I know, but I'm just doing my thing. They, 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 we had Mike Russell on there. He's been talking about that forever. What do people say? Just make the fights. We don't care about that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, they just, they just don't. I mean, that's a pretty good conversation, man. Like, uh, we should, and I'm looking forward to more questions that we get in from uh, some of our fans. Uh, Schwam, why don't you let we're everybody a, know? We're, we're in a sport full of savages, just so you know. People oh. who are unaware and don't care, and people like us who have these conversations, it's like we're speaking Spanish because these people are like, why, why are you talking about that? Get back Ignorance to the fight. Ignorance doesn't make you a savage. Ignorance doesn't make you a savage. Well, their lack um, of concern does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Uh, so, why don't you let everybody know what we're working on or what you're working on for this week, Schwam? Um, I'm going to finish up my article about what camps should and should not be doing. I'm still in the midst of working on this Green Arrow uh, thing. I'm not going to have it in time for the preview pre, for the pre- premiere, but I should have it done before the season's over. Uh, kind of like a like a realistic breakdown of the character and his fighting style and his skills and techniques he uses, similar to my Captain America piece. But other than that, I'm just on Twitter answering questions and uh, giving my behind-the-scenes information to the fans who want to have it. Good stuff, sir. I'm working on some stuff about uh, the jujitsu practitioners that are fighting this weekend. Um, Michelle Watterson, all that stuff should be up tonight, tomorrow. And yeah, man, just covering the sport as much as we possibly can. But as always, man, um, thank you for taking the time to hop on the show with me today. Thank you for everyone for listening to us. And we'll be back next week to talk more about mixed martial arts. Yes, we will. Y'all have any questions, feel free to Tweet us at MMA Ratings or Black Jordan Black Jordan Bean at Twitter or um, it's R Garcia at Twitter. We love to get questions. We love to talk about the things that you find important and that you, you want to know more about. Thank you, everyone. And uh, after that, man, have a great night, Sean. We'll be back next week. All right, sir. You have a good night. You too.